is a podcast that watch Christmas. Hello and welcome to the 63rd episode of this podcast, but the second episode of the Black Current Tango mini-series of this podcast. Um, so, I don't know if you've listened to Colin so far, you should listen to Colin, maybe you'll listen to Chairs and then you go back to Colin or whatever and then and Dave will happen after this, let's see. Um, so, the, these are three particular episodes that I've decided to record. I'm going to probably repeat <laughs> the beginning of my, my Colin intro now, but when I put Black Current Tango up on LinkedIn in a series of putting old ads up to remind people of just how great um, ads were and, and to blow everyone's minds that they were 20 plus years ago, um, Black Current Tango went up there and as usual um, it got a huge amount of affection and many thumbs up because uh, lots of people love that ad and are still happy to watch it now and um, think it's still brilliant and it got a lot of people into advertising. So what I thought was let's dig right into it and find out from a director, the client, and uh, in this case it's the copywriter. I did ask if Jim uh, Bolton, the uh, art director, was available, but Chaz said that um, he's a little uh, reticent about doing stuff like this, so Chaz represented the creative department. Um, the great thing about my chat with Chaz Bayfield here is that Chaz worked at Hal Henry Childercott Lurie, to give it its full name, everyone just called it HHCL or Hal Henry, um, in that mid-90s period when it could do no wrong. At the end of the decade, it was named Campaign's Agency of the Decade, um, which uh, you know was, was very well deserved because it really broke new ground. When I was at Watford at the time, we talked about Watford a little bit at the beginning and possibly a bit later on, um, it was known to be this kind of weird place where things were done differently and yet they worked. We had a joke that you could do a normal poster or a normal TV ad for your portfolio or you could write your advertising message on a pig and chuck it into Trafalgar Square um, if you were going to go and see a team at Hal Henry because that's the only way they'd actually like it. Um, and Chaz describes how he got into Hal Henry which sort of kind of um, confirms that they like sort of unusual things and then basically his first ad were a campaign with Harry Enfield the biggest comedian of the day that got into DNAD and then he did some incredible eye dance for Tango for the word and then Black Current Tango it was just the most insanely productive and creative um, you know early period I guess for a creative at that time I mean it's astounding you'll hear later on uh, some of the things that happened off the back of that, like um, Dan Wyden flying over there and seeing maybe he and Jim would like to um, open up the Wyden Candy office that uh, is currently run by um, other people. So there's some fascinating stuff here. A lot of it's about Black Current Tango. A lot of it's about Hal Henry. A lot of it's just about being a creative. And Chaz is a lovely bloke. Um, you'll hear all his fantastic stories and hopefully... You'll learn from them and be inspired by them. And if there's anything you want to know about Black Current Tango that isn't covered in Colin's episode, Chaz's episode, or uh, Dave's episode coming up, then I feel very bad that <laughs> there's something missing. Maybe I need to interview the tea lady or the janitor. In the meantime, please enjoy my chat with Chaz Bayfield. 
Very cute. You bang on time. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if you meant like a round four and then you'd be sitting there tapping your no, toe. No, you can't, you can't get on four works for me as well as either way. <laughs> especially busy. That's, that's good to know. Um, you sound exactly like you did when I last heard your actual voice 25 years ago. 25 years ago? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know if you yeah, remember. I um, guess... Uh, yeah, no terrible cigarette habit or drug habit to corrupt my vocal cords. Exactly, clean living yeah. all the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's a clean, it's a clean living. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it'd be better to mention this later on because then uh, I, I don't know. It's, what's funny about this is you, you and Jim came to Watford because you, you went to Watford, didn't you? Yeah. Um, maybe this could be the start of the conversation anyway. So I don't. Know, we could just. I'll probably cut around it anyway because I've I've just done forty five minutes with Colin and. Um, I'm not really sure how I'm going to put this together, so um, I'll work it out later. Um, But, yeah, you and Jim came to um, my class at Watford, um, and I think we were all a little bit in awe of you because you were working at Hal Henry. And we can talk a bit about Hal Henry, which would be quite fascinating, I think, for a lot of people as well. And um, I don't remember much about what you said, because let's face it, it was quite a long time ago. But what I do remember is you had little things in the back of your portfolio that were just funny thoughts. And they were just like, oh, yes. here's a funny thought. And one of them was a fat man running down a hill. And I remember yes. I remember that really funny. And I was thinking, was that a – because, look, let's face it, Ray Gardner is a little bit overweight, and he sort of runs kind of down a hill a little bit. Was, was there a connection yes. between that funny thought and Black Current Tango? Well, it's funny, it's funny because I still got that. I still have that – list you find the back of a physical portfolio it's called the magical idea box and it lives on my hard drive and that that was definitely i do remember having that idea i don't know whether that was after or before but it's quite possibly um, it was it was before but i think what we did was we rather than stare at products and go what can i say about this what can i say about this we we always started out from the point of view of what is interesting what do people, what's going to catch someone's eye? What's going to make them notice? What's going to make them laugh or feel some kind of reaction to? And yeah, I must have seen someone running out of control down a hill once who was a bit overweight in a really, really <laughs> funny. <laughs> it shouldn't have been. It was less PC times. Yeah, the but, 90s, anything goes. It was all fully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was. It was. Yeah, it was just a little bit more experimental. But it was. Yeah, it was. Advertising was very conformist back then, and we just wanted to to take it, break it out of that little tidy world, and and just try something a little bit more. I don't know. Just 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 um, fresh, new, different, that kind of stuff. Well, that that makes a lot of sense with the agency you were at, and I don't know. It, we, It'd probably be kind of helpful for people who, obviously, Hal Henry has passed away since. If you could give us a little bit of context about kind of how you ended up there and maybe why you, I don't know if you chose it or it chose you, uh, a bit of background to that. (laughs) Uh, We weren't really getting anywhere with other agencies. I I think we we felt there was a very set formula. This This was the early 90s. And... And you needed three campaigns in a uh, three ads in a campaign, and everything needed to have a kind of clever, a cleverness to it, like a little twist to it. And and 
uh, if, it, it kind of it, it seemed quite quite sameish really a lot of the stuff that we were doing and it was a, a formula that we struggled to do it was like maths you know and if you couldn't do it you get two and then you'd have to try and work out how to do the third one it was never as good and you just get frustrated and bin the campaign and you, and you go to one agency and you love it and then you take it to another agency and they say oh, I'll put it under your bed lads and start again <laughs> and and I think that's what had happened to us an agency had told us to put it under the bed and start again and we were on placement and we saw the tango, ad, the first one, the Orange Man. And it's the first time I, I, I properly belly laughed at an ad. Never, never, ever thought that ads could be funny or anything other than a formula. And this was nothing like it. It was like, a, a, a again, a big chubby guy. What's <laughs> big chubby people that did it for back then? But he sort of run, runs in, slaps someone and does, does all that. And I think, no, that's, that's great. And Jim and I had all these ideas that, were nothing to do with, with the stuff that we'd been told to do. And we just thought, why don't we just put a portfolio together like that and go in and see how Henry... And we managed to get in and see Trevor and Al, who'd done the tango, and and <clears throat> they really liked it and, and showed it to, to Stephen Axe. And they, they, they called us in. And uh, it was it was nuts, because we, we, we weren't even expecting to go into any agencies. We were just in town somewhere. And I called home. There was no mobile phones then. And my grand said, oh, there's a, uh, someone from how Henry has called you. And this is the number. So I went to the phone box. And they said, yeah, come in now. And it was so scruffy. Jim looked like a tramp. <laughs> um, he had, <laughs> oh, I might say what he was wearing. Um, but he had, he had, you know those jeans where the, the gusset's gone? And your pants hang out of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so sounds familiar. He, yeah. He, he, he was like that. It's probably holes in the toes of his trainers. And a, and a little t-shirt and and I had this uh, I was proper hippie, I had this big old t-shirt made out of I can't, it's like baby clothes and underpants really I just sort of patched it all together myself and uh, army boots and shorts and, and hair like Robert Smith and and in we came and the, the receptionist says, oh nice nice costume <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, Steve and Axe just looked at us and went, oh these guys and, and they just went through each campaign and just sort of laughed and asked us where the ideas came from um, and that was that really and because uh, so, I remember well, eight months placement out of that oh, so you got you got a were you on placement then and then you got a job yeah All right. yeah we, we were on placement for most time we got we got let go as well and then they oh, won really? Avon oh. yeah they won Avon the day before we were meant to leave the building we had a leaving due and a, and a gift <laughs> a Swiss army knife each which was nice yeah <laughs> And then they won Avon and said, "Right, we're going to hire you." Because what's what's yeah. funny about that, and again, for context for anyone who wasn't, you know, around in the, in the sort of mid '90s or, or into the 2000s, is that I remember when we were at Watford in '95, '96, kind of going, "Hey, you could you could put your book together." Or you could just write your ads on a pig and slap it into Trafalgar Square and then you can go for Hal Henry. And then there was this kind of idea that Hal Henry did things, obviously, in an unconventional way compared to other agencies. And it was almost like you had to have a different book and what you're describing is, is a kind of a, a manifestation of, of that. But what, what was it actually yeah. like being there? Was it, was, it more, was it more conventional once you were in? Was the oh, brief my goodness. It was, it, was, it was like, it felt like a sanctuary where people had escaped the madness of advertising. And and they were just really nice, quiet, super brainy people who who just quietly were getting on with changing the world. 
and it and it was fantastic. It really felt like a refuge. Like they, every everyone who'd come there had come there from somewhere that was a little bit horrible. So I think they just all come through the eighties. I think a lot of there'd been a massive crash in the late eighties, and and mm. lots of people had lost their jobs, and and we always used to find really really strange that the world thought you could just paint a banana blue and and stick a logo next to it, and that was a How Henry ad because it, it it wasn't a How Henry ad was was really strategic. If you think of uh, of things like Ron Seal does exactly what it says on the tin. And AA, the Fourth Emergency Service, they're not wacky at all. They're they're like properly strategic thinking. That the 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 tango is the hit of really. Yeah, she says the brief. That's the hit of real oranges, Tony. You know they had to touch, they had to get an advantage over Fanta, and so they were using real orange in their product. And uh, you know orange is a bit of a spiky thing. So yeah, why not? Every everything had a really really strong strategy. Fuji was you can. You know, with the right camera and the right film, the right moment, you can change the way people think. That's so powerful. And it's, it's like, yeah, you could probably say it with another film, role of film, but nobody was saying that stuff. I think that, that's, that's, that's what was great about it. It was people determined to change advertising. And, and they, 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 they were so extreme on it, you could never use the same director twice. Because if you use the same director twice, then your ad was dangerously close to looking like an ad for something else. So it was always trying to find new people, new new talent, and that that was the exciting bit was the, the amount of new talent that we were able to to get our hands on first, really, and and people would know that they could come into how many their photographer or illustrator or model maker or anything. They just come in, and there's a chance that you know, they we would use them, and nobody else would. Everyone else wants to see. Oh, are they any good? Have they been tested somewhere? What's what's interesting about that is, is I spoke to when I spoke to Colin about uh, working on it. He said he hadn't really done much in advertising before at all, and we were kind of both kind of going a bit back and forth about why he was chosen. And maybe, maybe we'll get into this in more detail in, in a moment or two. But yeah, if you're saying yeah. that you you only use use different uh, directors every time, then that would explain yeah. why an unfancied or sort of unknown advertising director rather because he said other more established people came up to him and said they couldn't understand why they didn't get that script and that now i know yeah yeah well it was it was with Dan, it was him and brian singer who'd done the usual suspects you both were very keen to do it and we neither of them had done ads as far as i could tell and uh, colin got it just because it was like that was one of the best things about him is he wasn't corrupted by advertising he didn't have this vision of what an ad looked like or he didn't behave like an advertising director he was like a professional he was a grown-up i think he used to be a primary school teacher oh he didn't mention that um, yeah i think he was a teacher next to before he got into directing oh i think you, yeah you, yeah it's very very different from the usual you might have had a lucky escape not having brian singer though with yeah, your no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. from what i've heard he's quite a dodgy geezer <laughs> yes yeah he's, he's, he's tired with the same spacey brush isn't he he is yeah, they must have had fun on the usual yeah. suspects. Um, yes. So, so yeah. you, just going back chronologically a little bit, you're in, you've done your placement, you've had your leaving due, you've come back like the, the day of your leaving due. And w- was there a, a way that the briefs were distributed? Because I'm assuming like the Tango brief was was a sought-after brief. And again, maybe Hal Henry wasn't conventional in that people go, oh, I want the Tango brief, I want the Tango brief. Maybe it, it wasn't that kind no. of situation. No, no, it wasn't, no. Um, this is... It's always been frustrating everywhere I've ever worked. And it's awful. It's like you work for the best place 
ever, and it's your first job. And I think there was a sense, I remember having conversations with a friend and, and just sort of saying, this is, this is the best agency, this is one of the best companies in the world, however much you're grumbling about it, everywhere you ever work in your life is going to be where she was only about 20 at the time. And, uh, but even then, I, I knew that we were in somewhere absolutely amazing. And, and the processes and the way that they did things back then would work now. I, I feel so much better than a lot of the, the, uh, the way that we work at the moment. So, for example, one team, one brief. And the thinking was, if you can't crack the brief, you shouldn't be in the agency. We are only going to hire the team that could crack an AA brief, a martini brief, uh, you know, a tango ad, uh, whatever, a sky ad, whatever, whatever the thing comes in. If you go, oh, I can't do that, or I can't advertise to teenagers, or I can't advertise to uh, pet owners, or people who go on cruises, you're useless to the agency. It's like, well, you're just a luxury then. So you have one creative team, one planner, one account person, and as and when things get moving either a print producer or a, or a TV producer joins the team. So it, it wasn't a case of, can I have it, can I have it? People might have asked for it, but there was absolutely no competition while you're working on it. And I've hated that throughout my whole career, that having to compete against other teams, because they're your friends a lot of the time. Mm. But it's also that, that sense of either I've crushed someone or they've crushed me by by getting it ahead of me. And I'm, I'm not that kind of... You know that, that sense of aggressive competition. I don't think it works. It feels very macho. It possibly explains why why you know girl, girls traditionally or women traditionally struggled in that environment. They didn't have that sort of fighty, fighty, fight. I'm going to get to the top. Um, then you know you, you you do struggle. So how Henry was like, it was way ahead of its time back then. Yeah, I've, I've listened to um, a few of Dave Dye's podcasts, and in fact, it's been my experience as well. Because the first agency I was at, Y&R, each each brief went to you know three or four teams, and that was competition. And then my next agency was Abbott Mead Vickers, and when it was one team, one brief, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my, would hang one team, one brief? Like, what if it wasn't so much what if we don't manage it, but I couldn't believe the kind of trust. Because it wasn't just, yeah. were you crushing other people? It was like, oh, no, this agency run by David Abbott trusts you and no, and we're not going to have a safety net to, to crack this brief. And I think that's a very yeah. invigorating, inspiring thing. I think, I think it is. I think it's, mm. you, you really feel you, you own it. And I, and I remember they sent us off to, to Southwold for about three days to, to work on a cable and wireless pitch. And it was the same team that had done the tango. And, and it, was, it was just absolutely living the dream. That was my, my favourite time in advertising. It really was. It's just four, four people and, and we were just, you know, sitting on the beach, walking around, going to cafes, going to pubs, just talk, we were talking about it. We weren't mucking about. We were doing the job. And, and, it, and it was like not that knowledge that, oh, there's another team somewhere else in the agency in another part of England doing the same thing and they're up against us. It wasn't any of that. It was like, how can we do the best work imaginable for this for this client so yeah I, I think agencies that did it like that are really good now the only time you get that when it's such a horrible little dirty uh, little digital quick fast thing like there's no point getting another team on it it's just someone clear this mess up off the floor <laughs> that's the uh, that's the only chance you get now. yeah yeah um 
So uh, I've, so I know you did the the Harry Enfield stuff and and those idents for the word and things like that as well. Wh- which order did it come in in terms of Black Current Tango? Um, Harry Enfield was was the first thing we ever did. That's that's why we got our placement because we could write like Harry Enfield. We could write um, Mr. Chumley Warner back then. Yeah, we could be Mr. Chumley Warner, and and we got the sense of humour, and then. And then it turned into TV. The first TV stuff that we did was was Mercury, and then we did the the Tango Idents. But that that was that was again Idents were just a, a graphic design exercise. No no one bothered doing anything remotely, you know, creative in a sense. It was like the same the same Idents every every show. You just do yeah. eight, and then they repeat every week. And the budget was, well, right now it sounds like a good budget, like 30 grand or something like that. But back then, when TV budgets were in the hundreds, we, we had, I think, 30, 35 grand. And, and we thought, well, why don't we, why don't we do live action? And why don't we do 102 different clips? Just do 102 different things. And that feels really tango-y. Because by then, tango Tango was like, it was just an attitude. It was a way of doing things, an alternative way of looking at the universe. And, and that, that felt really cool. And it was almost like, let's hijack this program that we're sponsoring and make our little bits as, as interesting as as their bits. And and it was, yeah, it was, the agency was like, well, the clients said, yeah, if you can do it, um, but this is the money. And we, we got a minibus and a, and a director. I don't know what he'd done. He'd done nothing. He'd done a, a homebrew beer ad, I think, <laughs> a guy called Walter Stern, who ended up, oh, yeah. ended up doing Guinness ads. Mm. Uh, and John Payne was his producer, who prior to that had worked on a farm in Gloucestershire, and he ended up running um, a whole chunk of RSA out in Shanghai. I think he's still there. So it's like people start in this, it was like proper career boosting back then. And they did an amazing job. They just really pulled it off. And, you know, we, we, my dad was in some of them and <laughs> my geography teacher. And we just went down to Cornwall, where I'm from, and, and just <laughs> filmed most of the people I knew um, just, just to get the numbers up. It was fun. It was fun. We got a DNA D Silver for that. We didn't actually mean anything, to be honest, because we, we didn't know what that was. No one did ads for awards at How Henry. It was a big thing. They did, generally didn't enter them. The... Um, the production companies entered because the agency didn't want people doing ads to win awards, which is so different to how it is now, which is, again, why I struggle with the the way things are at the moment, where, where agencies have got whole groups of people just doing ads just to win awards uh, <laughs> that no client ever gets to see. So back then, it was it was the polar opposite. So we got, we got the DNAD for that, and that, that kind of, yeah, I think that was pretty much the first tango that we touched and uh was johnny ball expensive because by my recollection he was in one of them was, did he take up most was, of your budget yeah, he was in a whole set. johnny ball explaining how oh, yeah. dinosaurs <laughs> became extinct how space works how tv works how a rabbit works yeah he he, he was um no he wasn't expensive at all no <laughs> we, we, we got um it was amazing what we got because he was sort of a has-been at the time. Oh, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. We, we went back into we, – we had to look at the age range of people who we we wanted to drink. You know, we knew we were drinking tango. who were probably about 25 at the time. 
And it was like, what do they remember from when they were 12 or 10 or little? And it was like, well, they remember Johnny Ball. So we, we, we got him into it. And that was, um, that was really cool. But the other, we could have afforded uh, Norman Wisdom as well. Wow. And he was, uh, he was up for it. <laughs> um, and it was like, it was Norman Wisdom. And he was taking us on a tour of his childhood, of all the places. And he'd get all teary-eyed. But he'd always fall down a manhole cover. <laughs> he'd, always, he'd always just fall down. Help! <laughs> but I, I don't know if that, that one fell through. Uh, we, we, we had too many. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was amazing that people just stepped up and did it. We got we got a guy off the bill as well. We got um, he'd, he'd stopped being on the bill, but he was recognisable for being on the bill. He was interrogating animals. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I also really love the um the choir singing football chants with the oh Ian goodness, Wright, yeah. Ian Wright, right, right. Then yeah. they turn the page, Ian Wright, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was that we got. A, yeah, someone we knew was in a choir, and she she got a friend to transcribe all the music, and oh yeah, but it's just a, a, a fun idea. It was like a chance to get a load of. So, load of those things, you know, in the magical idea box, those things. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Like choir singing football charts or um, people getting shrink-wrapped or, uh, or or whatever. Johnny Ball explaining things. You just make a little note. Yeah, that would be interesting. Because it's just interesting. You don't know yeah. what the brand is or what the product is. But with Tango, you could kind of get a lot of those out, which was which was really nice. So, yeah, that was, that was sort of a, our first award-winning thing and I think it was more because we just done something I wasn't graphic design and incidentally I didn't get an award for that because I was a copywriter and you didn't get copywriting awards for idents back then oh that's yeah I think they had a weird attitude to like um there was there was some guy who won a DNA gold pencil back in 1980 and I think his art director got one and he as the copywriter didn't get it because again of some weird vague thing about how DNA decides yeah. to distribute their pencils but um I think that's yeah. changed now um but the, uh, just very quickly on on Mercury, that must have been a lot of fun with with Harry Enfield as well. I imagine. Did, did you write those to, in a collaborative way, or was it just no? He did the scripts. No, no. We we we, we wrote them. He, he was the polar opposite of collaborative. To be honest, he was. Uh, it was very nice, but he was very much the great man. Right. And came with a great director, a guy called Jeff Posner. Right. And. Uh, a fabulous producer with huge hoop earrings who called everyone Darling because you never have to remember anyone's name, Darling. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I had the temerity to um, go up to Harry Enfield. It was my first ever shoot because he hadn't said it right. He hadn't said the line right or he'd improvised or something. And it, it was like the whole thing just stopped. <laughs> and she bundles me over into a corner. Darling, 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 I must tell you. Never, never go and talk to Harry. Always talk to your producer who talks to me, and then I talk to uh, I talk to uh, Jeff, and and then Jeff talks to Harry. <laughs> okay. okay, and he called, but he liked me. He called me naughty on acid, so I was still wearing the the crazy t shirt, and uh, and I still had the, the look going on, and uh, and he kept on trying to put swear words in, and I was I was much more religious than I am now. Still, still do it, but uh, he was always trying to put blimeys in and. Um, stuff like that, and I say, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not. It's probably wouldn't have flown anyway. But, mm. um, but he was good. He was good. He kind of come. He'd, he'd work around things like that. 
But it was, it was, yeah. It, it, we were very much in the, the little placement team in the corner. But it was fun, fun learning, and and they were they were quite popular. I think we got a few awards. Yeah, here and there for, for that. Yeah, I remember. I remember they were they were really really great and properly funny as well. So um, if anyone, I think you can maybe find them on DNAD's site, or maybe you've got a site that I don't know. Yeah, I've got. I've got yeah, if you go to to my site, there's I've got an archive where I've tried to find everything that I've got. Um, but yeah, that that was yeah that that was that was good fun. It was a good place to start, but it was it was derivative really. It was it it was. I don't think it's something that we, Jim and I, would have done. Is nick something off the TV and just um, just use that. It feels a little bit a little bit easy. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're going on to Black Current Tango. I, it, just for a little bit of context, I've been putting up ads generally from the '90s on on LinkedIn, and you know, I mean, all the classics and uh, you know, the, the great big awarded stuff. And I've just found that no ad ever gets more affection. And oh, that's the ad that made me want to get into advertising. And oh, I can watch it again and again, even now, than Black Current Tango, yeah. which is why I, I wanted to kind of get get this kind of down on record a little bit from you and Colin. And, and hopefully I'll be speaking to the client at some point soon as well. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, if uh, so, can you explain from the beginning of where the brief came from and how it all <coughs> went on like that? Um, yeah, the brief, was, the brief was for a 30-second tango derivative. Like a, it was really a um, – it wasn't their main brand. It was just this is, this is a little one. And so there wasn't a huge amount of investment in it, and they come, they, they struggled with it a little bit because they'd already had the the hit of oranges, the um, I think it was seduction of apples. Oh yeah. The uh, was it the seduction of lemons? I can't remember. Apple apple was always a bit pervy. It was. Um, lemon was a bit culty. And but black currant, they just didn't have a thing. No one really knew what what black currants did, and there there was a whole load of areas that it could go into. And and the, the planner was brilliant. He was because often you get planners who who are just a little bit you know egomaniac, and and they they go, yeah, I've got all the answers. And um, but but this guy Dave wasn't, and and he said, you you guys kind of know what you're doing. Um, let let let's come up with something absolutely like brilliant that everybody remembers, and then we'll we'll post rationalise it. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how we can get that back into black current, and how we can make it into tango. And and the hardest thing with him for him to post rationalise back was with how something that is a quick hit, which is a, a soft drink, how you can justify doing a ninety second ad for it because it does need to be sort of. 20 to 30 seconds and then bang and it's out because yeah. that, that then feels like the, 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 a glug of the stuff so the, the brief was really open ended they, they did an experiment where it was a um, autonomous project team so you don't have a creative director on it you just do it yourself which was a huge amount of trust mm. so there was, there was just four of us on it so he, me and Jim, him and uh, a mini model who was the planner the account person and yeah we, we just probably came up with about 10 different ideas and they were all pretty pretty bonkers 
but the idea I think that we'd always liked was one that we we'd had for Mercury, and it hadn't it hadn't worked, and it was it wasn't that close to yet, but it was a bunch of people in an office who have a problem. They they they're trying to fix some kind of uh, issue with how can telecommunications be better or something like that. And they walk out of the office, but they're on a beach. And they just walk along the beach and they come across a bunch of hippies or someone trying to catch a fish and they just join in with them. And and, and that's how they solve the problem. And and, uh, and then they kind of end up somewhere else. And we just love the idea of, of this one take of people walking out of an office onto a beach, into an environment and doing something quite cool. And so it's very bones. That was Ray Gardner leaving his office, walking through the car park onto the white cliffs, and then getting into his boxing ring. So the the idea was 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 kind of there. And then when when we kind of start started working on the whole thing, I I, I think we I don't know where the idea came from of of uh, a, a guy just having a a bit of a rant. It was obviously something that Jim and I found found quite funny at, at the time, or something perhaps we'd we tried to do for another tango ad. Um, and they done a we'd done an ad where um, a guy was relaxing in his in his office at work, and his boss comes in really angry that he's he works for Tango and he's messed up sales down or something, and she's really quite cross. And then her boss comes in. And he's really cross at how not cross enough she is. And then his boss comes in livid that he's taken it so lightly. And, and, and then another boss comes in with his tra- trousers around his ankles because he just read a memo on the toilet about how no, no one's taking it seriously. And then I, I think the heavens open and the, the gods do something and the whole place blows up. I don't know. But it, it was just fury. It was all based on fury. So I, th- I think that there was perhaps a little element of of that that went into it you know this, this guy that just gets more and more fired up as he goes um, and, I, and I think that and it was obviously really long and, and somewhere along the the, the, the route the journey um, I think the planner said right what what this is is the, the only if you're going to do a long ad the only long brand that can do a long ad like that is Coke so this needs to be an attack on Coca-Cola, but you can't mention Coca-Cola. <laughs> so that's actually what it was. It was just an attack on Coke. But why the um, why the patriotic, uh, let's say, anti-French in a humorous way angle? Oh, um, that was, again, going back to my, my, my hippie status. Well, not, I wasn't a hippie. I was more of a, an activist. I liked, um, I liked the planet. I was into Greenpeace and Amnesty and still am to some extent, but... They were, um, the French were doing nuclear testing in Mururoa Atoll and Greenpeace was sending me lots of stuff about it, saying how awful it was and how we've got to try and stop them doing it. And I looked into it a little bit more and I realised that um, some French people had blown up the Rainbow Warrior in Auckland Harbour a few years earlier. And I was just really angry. I was just really angry at them. And, And... Added to that, there there was that animosity of the nearest neighbour. Yes. Um, so it was. I, I think it was. I think there was a script where 
we um, we had a giant flag that was so big it would block the sun out of America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this huge flag in the UK, so that for long long parts of the day the sun wouldn't actually hit America. Whether that's possible or not, I don't know. Then we had um, this woman on a horse charging to the to Land's End and then getting in boats to um, <laughs> attack. But um, we, we all thought that was too direct. It was too obvious. Right. Um, and, and then there was just something about him escalating and, and what's, the, what's the biggest, most ludicrous, stupid thing that he can do. And that's what well, he, he, he can, he can really be patriotic. So I like, I like that, that whole Braveheart thing. I think that was obviously a big, a, a big factor. And the, the sort of, that feel feel good, people feeling good about themselves. Because a lot of stuff was very American back then. It was very lifestyley. There wasn't there wasn't much British feel good going on. And it was like, come on. And it was tongue in cheek. It was like he, he wasn't a warrior. He was a he was a, a paunchy forty five year old. Yeah. He was he was just going to. Uh, he just wanted to have a go. And he'd had a bad day. The backstory was he he's, he got a call from his kid's school. The, he'd, he'd just been slacking off and failing his exams and not taking things seriously and and perhaps the washing machine had blown up at home and 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 another thing and and then he got gets his letter uh, and it's like normally on a, on a normal day he wouldn't have taken it so personally but he's he's just really he's really taking it personally now and that and that's why it kind of um, it all kicks off so it's like an attack on on him, his brand, his country, uh, everything he stands for, and he's not having it. And, um, and you said you worked in a little um, self-contained team. Did you have to show this script to Steve or Axe or someone else to get no. them to approve it? Not at all? No, not at all. No, they, they <laughs> took interest. Axel, Axel was nominally um, involved, and he, I'm sure he would have helped. Because uh, we weren't. We, when we, we'd only been doing it a few years. Yeah, we're still in our twenties, so he he would, he would have definitely he might have told us we were autonomous, but he, he probably would have um, would have thrown in a few little a little thoughts. But he just created this amazing environment that allowed it to happen. A lot, a lot of people assume that you should be able to recreate that in their agency, um, or as a freelancer just coming in for a couple of days. And it's like, well, no, you need to you need to have this whole setup in place client side and and agency side and then you can do it yeah um and so i mean uh, i'll find out hopefully by speaking to dave the client at some point soon how how was it received at uh, at tango uh, in terms of them being enthused about well first because i imagine they thought it was a 30 and then it's a 90 and presumably they need more money for that but also obviously it's quite crazy was it was it well yeah. received no, well, they didn't need more money. They didn't need more money. We we just took the production money out of the media budget. Oh. So they would have had a, a reasonably healthy media budget, and and they'd have rotated it around all the channels. But we we just put it on um, TFA Friday six times. I think that's all we did. It was like six times or ten times, and we knew that was the big show, Chris Evans Friday night, and by about three or four shows in Ray was on the show he was like he was he was part of the show and he just hung out with Danny Baker and Chris Evans most of the time 
they became really good buddies. <laughs> so so it, it, it really worked in our favour because they plugged it. They, they amplified it and all, all the, the people that we wanted to be seeing it, because basically it was, a, it was a beer ad for a soft drink. Mm, they, yeah. that, and, and so 25 to, to 35-year-old um, guys generally, I suppose, were, were the target and they were all watching that show. And so it, 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 it's, it's not surprising that a lot of people, probably 15 upwards, they, they found it a, a, a moment where it was like, oh, that. I, I want to do that. I want to have some of that. It's just, it just takes you with it. You just want to be with them. You want to be part of that. So, Brittany, to answer your question, massively behind it. They, that was most of their staff from their factory on the cliffs. We, we, we had, um, if you look carefully, there's loads of people in white in white coats. That's all from the bottling plant, I think, in Chelmsford. Uh, they bust them all in. We had about 400 extras from just extras agencies. Yeah. But, but there was a whole ton of people from from Tango, and the idea is like they they'd then be very very positive about the ad, and they tell everybody about it to make it work even harder. But that is still kind of amazing. That I mean, you, you, you're saying it's that they loved it, and then they did. But I think these days the edge of getting a client to swap out its media budget for a higher production budget is is odd enough and then to say have a 90 so you, you really only be able to even with your media budget you can only run it fewer times because whatever but for them yeah. to trust it was going to be good enough that it would have that impact that just feels so yeah. alien now and that the trust you guys yeah. must have had and probably Britvic in terms of having their trust repaid over lots of great tango ads meant the relationship with them and you as an agency must have been good enough yeah. to make that happen it was yeah, it was it was really good, but they they worked they built it up. I think Tango was a, um, I think it shared the bottom one percent of soft drinks in the UK. I mean the the bulk of it was it was Coke, Diet Coke, Pepsi, Diet Pepsi. Those are the huge ones, and they they dominated. I think that was about eighty five percent of all soft drinks sold. Yeah, and then and then it got down to slightly smaller ones, and I think the bottom one percent was your you sort of your lilts and your tangos and all that kind of stuff, and and it and it shot up to I think it was number two behind Coke and Diet Coke, and that was before we did it. That wow. that was just the work that we'd done with Orange Tango, that you know, Trevor Al stuff and um, just sponsorship and, and other uh, other other work. The Apple Tango, that was Trevor Al again. So it was it was properly. They, they they knew that we'd made a massive difference as an agency to their company, and I think that that that's why they they were very very trusting, and they were right to because it does work. I can't I can't really see it happening now, and I, I think what happens now is that um, clients don't make work or they don't buy work to to stand alone and to have its own moment of fame and just to, to go on its own trajectory, just to take on a life of its own that, that might be, might, might go on for years. What, what they want is a quick fix to a problem. Yeah. And their idea of doing it is, is as you know yourself, I'm sure, is, is just to take all the risk out of it and just do the bare minimum and you end up with this sort of vanilla thing that, that doesn't, it ticks every single box Apart from, does anybody care? And and will anybody really want to watch this next year? Even if it wins an award, is anyone going to talk about it in a year's time? Yeah. And you think of everything that's won awards over the last, I mean, they've got enough awards 
theories and systems. How much stuff can you remember from the last 10 years? Yeah, and, and just, it, I think it is amazing that people remember Black Current Tango so so well. And I, I think its longevity is part of its... You know, if it was still on sale, it's almost like you could run the ad now and have it still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be... I think it has dated. I think it has dated. Because I, I, I look at my my reel from those early days and and there are things that you just can't do the things you can't say i think there's a lot of there is sort of a lot of casual uh racism sexism um that you you just wouldn't really want to get into or or not even racism it's more xenophobia yeah uh and 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 i don't think xenophobia is a healthy thing now um but at, at the time I think it, it, it works. It's really funny. It's like when you watch old Alan Partridge stuff, you kind of flinch. <laughs> we watch 42 Hour stuff even earlier. You go, oh my goodness, oh, yeah. did that ever get on telly? Who, who, okay, who okayed that? Mm. But, you know, t- times do change. And it's, it's like you can judge how we were in the past, but I think it's, it's how we are now is probably more important. Um, so, yeah, but it, I don't know. It, it's, it's, still, it's still loved, isn't it? It's still out there. Yeah. Um have haven't gone through a lot of it mainly technically with, with Colin. I did want to ask you a question. I've I've watched the the making of on YouTube. If anyone's interested, oh, yeah. there's a there's a fun little making of that someone put together. Yeah, but yeah, um, I've seen that. He he said you were very particular about how the lines were read, and obviously you were with with Harry as well on Mercury. So what what was that yeah. from? Did you have a very specific idea of how those words were said and the attitude? Yeah, I'm 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 a nightmare to work with. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm so anal because I hear it in my head mm. I hear it in my head I, I actually get angry when I hear actors on the telly um, or on radio ads saying the line and you know that the creative wasn't sat in the room with them because yeah. they just said no you stressed the wrong word you went to stress that other word in the sentence and it makes much more sense it's like, ah. so no I, I, the, the reason we got Colin was um, primarily because he was a fantastic um, he'd done TV, yeah. but it wasn't advertising, so he loved that. Uh, he was really dramatic. You know, the, the scale and scope of the stuff that he was doing. He'd done a show called Thief Takers, and and the the tech, technique that he had, the the way he used cranes and, and get, managed to get a single shot just using you know giant machinery, and it was just flawless. And to have to do all of that and focus on performance is it just felt like a massive ask because if we if we just got Colin to focus on the performance we wouldn't have got any of the shots we wouldn't have got a lot of the stuff that makes it so epic and I think I, I don't know what your experience is of working with with directors but for me they're, they're almost always art directors they 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 love the look of stuff mm. and and they look at me like I'm from another planet when we've got to take A, and I say, yeah, B hasn't said the line properly yet. And and, and, it, and it's like, oh, you know, and every, the whole crew is looking at this idiot. You know, he said it, he said the words, yeah, he said the words, but he needs to say the words in the right way. And and when you get it, the words said in the right way, you end up with ads like the Harry Enfield ads and the Tango ads and other things like that. And it's just right, it was right. So, yeah, I, I was... Well, Colin was setting up the shots. So I was, I was going through the lines with, with Ray over and over again, and saying, "Hit this word at this point, and this 
was. We even got him back in the studio afterwards, going running up and down on the spot. I'm very God, now I drink black or tango, come and get me. That was all done in the studio afterwards. Just didn't see we had it on the day. The guy's knackered. Yeah, so um, it's just getting the right beats and getting the, the tone right. It's so important. And um, yeah, so so again, when I spoke to Colin, I said that the edit probably wasn't much of a process because you only you had the three takes that would go <laughs> that would go together, and that was kind of done. It wasn't like you're sitting there going, oh, oh, but do we have a better one on take twenty four? So you said that didn't really happen. Um, so in terms of the the production process it coming out, um, how how was it for you when it sort of started taking off, and, and was that an immediate thing? When it actually. When it came um, out, and it, and it must have been oh, God, very well yeah. received quite quite early on, I imagine. Yeah, because we, we had to sit it for... We, we shot it in April, and we we weren't allowed to... It didn't launch until October. So this oh. massive wait where you just go, oh, we're going to hit the world with something, we're going to hit the world with something, and you always hope it's going to be good. And then when it came out, we just started getting tons and tons of phone calls, and it was before email. So we were getting lots of um, letters and cards and things like that from people in the industry, just just saying well done, which is really nice because often people are kind of quite quite jealous and bitchy. But it was it was really good, and then um, a lot of news channels started getting interested in it, and you know, just papers, and and then Ray Gard became a bit of a celebrity in his in his own right. I think things took off for him, and yeah, it was it was it was it, it was really big. It was really big. It, it was um, yeah, but you, you kind of we didn't do it for that, and it was really shocking because we were in this How Henry bubble where you just do you just do the job. We just did the ad that we thought was going to be different enough to all the other ads, and it, and it wasn't like oh we're going to do this to win loads of awards and get famous and get a better job you know if, we, if we'd done that we'd have left straight away but we, we stuck around for about another three years I think three or four years at Henry well Jim stayed on for a lot longer and, and how was it you know back there I mean it, I don't mean something as sort of basic as were you promoted or anything like that but how did it affect your your standing at How Henry or did it not change at all um, just more money <laughs> that, that, was, that was it really I think they, they wanted to keep us and we probably got put on on better briefs, and we got made partners, and I think I think that was it. I don't think we wanted to be creative directors. We wanted to keep working. We wanted to keep doing stuff because we were only just starting out, and and we we I just wanted to do another one of those again. Yeah, because I could. I, I knew I could do it. And you, me, and, me and Jim could just do that. Whatever the the brief was, we could do it. But you couldn't really do it for Tango because then it wouldn't be fresh. So you'd have to do something different for Tango. But you could do it. You could do something big for another brand. But unfortunately, the the, the clients at the other brands just weren't. They weren't Tango. But even and I, I remember being in advertising at that time, and every client. I got a brief from the the ask was can we have a black currant tango? So mm. so when I'm sitting there in at YNR or whatever working on sugar puffs or something like that and they go, We want a black currant tango and they never wanted it enough 
or understood what it meant to to have one and, I, and by which i mean the trust and the bravery and, and and whatever it was to to go yeah yeah we'll we'll because the process you've just described is one of massive trust between client and agency and client and team and i feel like obviously everyone wants a giant famous ad but but to do the the kind of white knuckle stuff to some degree that it takes to to actually make it happen particularly for a client is not is not something anyone really wants to do so you, Black Current Tango ends up with it being a sort of stick to beat other creators with later on because even if you gave them one, what happens then? Mm. Can they spot it? Are they willing to back yeah. it? So, you know. Well, this, this is, is so funny because I, I had it as a stick to beat myself with. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a meeting on the, I was creative directing at JWT and we presented some work for a global uh, Listerine. Uh, I don't know, it was a brief. It, we already had the business globally. And the global CCO, a guy called Matt Eastwood, was on the call. And it wasn't any of my work. I kind of achieved it along a little bit. Um, but I did have a, a script of my own in the back pocket. And he said, uh, do, you know what? I just, do you know what I really feel we need here? We need something a little bit more. Uh, do you guys remember that Black Current Tango Sebastian? <laughs> 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 and I said, yeah, 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 I do. And, and he said, well, you know, do you think we could uh, have something, uh, you know, push it a bit more like that? And I said, yeah, I'll probably, probably see what we can do. <laughs> 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 um, I think I said to him, I said, yeah, I, I did write that one. And he said, well, that's the weirdest response to feedback I've ever had. <laughs> 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 I don't know whether he believed me, but, um, but yeah. But yeah, thinking back to, to what you were saying earlier, that, that having the right client is 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 pivotal i remember one of the things that we did with tango with particularly with david and he'll tell you when when uh, you, you talk to him is we got him into the agency into the creative department for two weeks on a on a secondment oh. and we got him to work on uh, i think he's working on pot and noodle so he was he was writing ads for for pot and noodle and he absolutely loved it he got to wear different <laughs> clothes he got to you know and he wasn't like most of the other creators, because he already had a young family back then. Um, and we were all just sort of single, fun-loving guys and girls. But he absolutely adored it. And I think he never he never lost that. And and, and he was quite good as a creative. <laughs> he had some, some pretty pretty mad ideas. We called him Mad Atta, David Atta. <laughs> and and uh, he, yeah, so I, I think, I can't imagine doing that with a client right now. Imagine getting a Barclays client and saying, right, you're now going to be in, you know, last agency I was at was Iris. You're going to come into Iris and you're going to work on hula hoops, you know, and, and, and see see whether you, you can do that, see whether you can unlock that bit of your brain. You know, here's a Starbucks brief. You know, here's, here's, here's something for, um, for Samsung. It'd be really, really interesting just to, just to see whether that gets clients thinking about the really important part of what, what we do and opens them up to, to really falling in love with creative work rather than um, creating decks and, and mm. ticking boxes. It might be interesting the other way around as well because I've interviewed a, cl a client for my podcast and I discovered a lot of things in that conversation about how they feel like they're almost part of the agency having to defend the work against the rest of the company because the company doesn't really know the, the depth of the process they've already been in together. 
Uh, and you said a lot of other interesting things, but I think I think knowing what clients actually go through and and their perspective on you know when they see a script, what's going through their minds, and you know what are the what are all the little pressures that are happening. Mm, mm. But um, you know, uh, so you said you were at How Henry another three years, and and how did how did that go, and then why did you why did you leave? Uh, that went that went really really well. We did some stuff for Bird's Eye, which. Really, really happy with bird's eye ready meals. It was a, a kid who fancies his mate's mum. Oh, yes, and I remember that. That was just uh, an experience Jim had had when he was younger. I think somebody else fancied his mum, or he fancied somebody else's mum, and it was just really awkward. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things. It's like, well, how do we get that in an ad? And, and, it, and it's like, well, let, let's do a whole campaign based around um, this, this guy's got a, a really a really attractive mother and it, it was like yeah and, and it was it was it was really weird trying to I remember when all the we did the casting and it, it was strange like people being cast from mum and an ad but having to be super super sexy it just wasn't what they were used to be doing it, it felt really like quite an empowering role for a, a 40 year old woman and I think it was quite yeah it was, it was, it was just a, a an interesting time. She, she had a. She was a single mum as well, and it wasn't like a needy single mum. It was a single mum who had a life. He was going out and doing stuff, and trusted him to get on with his evening. Uh, and then you know a few few other things thrown into that. So that was cool. And the, the and the lads now um, he's cute, isn't he? In the Bond movies, uh, Ben Whishaw. So he's done really well. Was that him? So that was yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was it was you know the voice of Paddington Bear. We. we finding people and the, the director I don't think had ever directed anything he might have done one little ad for Radio 1 or something so it was wow. it was like sort of peak how Henry really is, is all of those things find, find an actor find a um, you know find a really good director then we did some AA and I finally got my, my uh, fat guy running down a hill which was uh, very exciting um, so we did a whole load of ads for AA insurance which were kind of a little bit, a little bit tangoy. It was a lot of tango ideas that hadn't probably made it through tango. Uh, and then we left because I think there was nowhere else to go. I've kind of felt that there wasn't anything else I wanted to achieve. I didn't want to be a creative director or run an agency, particularly, um, or not not a big one as an employee. And um, I like writing ads, but I thought, well, Jim and I thought, let's just do it ourselves set up our own little place and then we get all the money and the work will just flow in and we forgot to get a new business person or an account person or a planner. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. It was dreadful. It was like an awful experience and I told myself at the time to never ever be misty-eyed about how great it was because it really wasn't. We were just skin. We were sat in Safeways in Camden eating, um, eating that congealed breakfast that had been there for three hours or buying a loaf of bread and a can of soup for 24p taking it back to the office it was so miserable um, so yeah that that, that you know, running your own agency thing didn't really work out for us yeah it's it's harder than it looks I think what you just said in, in one minute encapsulates the whole bugger of it all now in yeah is that what you're doing at the moment well I, it's, it's not so much that I mean we, we my wife and I are put one together and we've gone through that element and I think we, we, we started off an ethical agency and I think we felt oh, nice. that it would be more 
um, appealing to companies that are in that space. But this was, God, nearly three years ago now, and I think we were a, we we were a little bit ahead of our time in terms of people wanting that. But we just thought, hey, they're going to want a, a clean supply line, so they're going to want a, a, a for good advertising agency as well because we're a B corporation, things like that. But um, I think we misjudged people's kind of uh, opinion of of how. You know, they want they want to kind of feel safe and secure generally in an ad agency as well. And maybe taking a chance on something new is something that most clients just, whether they want to or not, they've got to justify that decision back to other people. And, you know, it's it's a, a tricky thing to do. But even when, again, on Dave Dye's podcast, he's been talking to great creatives leave really good agencies and clients are kind of like, well, yeah, I saw you did that at DDB or whatever agency it was, but what have you done at your new agency? And, and Dave's response is like, my new agency is two weeks old. What, what do you think I've done? But but they don't kind of trust the new system and new place and new, and new everything else to possibly be able to deliver what a giant machine like a multinational agency does. So... There's lots of there's lots of difficulties about it, but um, I, I appreciate your optimism. In uh, yeah, we'll keep all the money, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it seemed really. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like a, a no-brainer, really. That uh, it it would work and it would be fantastic, but it was it it was just horrible. It was horrible. It's the poorest I've ever been in my life. And I was I was poorer than before I even started out in advertising. It, it was it was nasty. <laughs> and so presumably that that took you back to the bosom of more conventional advertising or what happened yeah there? yeah um what, what happened is uh, a, a good friend of mine called andy taylor who had been at how henry was heading up the i guess the sort of through the line part of henry which is called heresy and he's working with a guy called Sean McElrath, who I've only just finished working with at Iris just before lockdown. Until lockdown, I was in freelancing at Iris, been there for about a year and a half. Um, so they were they were the, the bosses there. And I think it, it was my birthday, and I must have been pouring my heart out to Andy. I really wasn't working at, at the little agency we set up. And he said, well, why don't you just come in to, to us for three days a week, and then you can still do all the other things that you want to do. And I, I did that. So um, I did that for a few a few years, and then I went for a, a branding agency that just split off from Wolf Olin's for three days a week, and then I went into Iris for three days a week. Basically, took three day a week gigs for the next um, ten years, and put a band together. Wow! Met my wife. Yeah. And yeah, just just. I think I think there was a, a part of me that realised that that the environment that created Black Current Tango was was not there. It was there. Um, it was definitely there at Widens. It was definitely there at Adam and Eve. But to try and get into those places without having done Black Current Tango three months earlier was impossible. It was impossible. I had, I had some really good chats with with the guys there, but but there was nothing because I'd just been working at you know um, a brand agency and a and a through the line agency and a and a whatever. Iris as well back then was a sort of sales promotion agency. I had nothing on my reel that that said to Adam and Eve or, or Widens or Mother, um, come in, come in, come in. Whereas weirdly, Dan Wyden flew over to interview me and Jim straight after Black Car and Tango. Wow. To see if we wanted to 
set up the London office. Um, <laughs> we, we were we were asked to. Um, uh, Mother wanted us twice. We went in there. Offered us twice to go into Mother. Fallon McGilligan. Um, we actually got beat to that by um, Andy and Rich, Richard Flinton and Andy McLeod. Oh, yeah. Because they were arguably a bit better than us. <laughs> like, well, they could do everything. They were really. They won the black pencil, and we only got the silver for Tony yeah. the Doritos. So they were they were really hot. Uh, we were quite hot. They were really hot. So they got that one. But you know, had we gone then, we could have taken our pick. But weirdly, five six years down the line, still the same person. But you know, I, I was lucky to get a gig just doing. Um, freelancing for somewhere doing a Capital One brief where they say can we have Black Orange Tango and it's like no because <laughs> I don't know you you don't know me I don't know how you set up here um, and I, I sort of became the not the Black Orange Tango person but everyone sort of knew I'd done it and, and expected that I could recreate it for them and it's impossible and that, that didn't affect me so much but it it made me realise that I wasn't going to get in to the agencies that I wanted to and I wasn't able to do the work that I wanted to do at the agencies that were going to take me and you know that was a, a little bit frustrating so I, I, I kind of uh, lost lost my mojo for it really and just went, went after other things started writing uh, and seeing advertising more as a well this funds the other life that I like living and if you can survive on a bit less money and you know not not have a fancy car and live in a massive house, then you can probably have a really nice life. So that's that's kind of <clears throat> where where I ended up. And I'm, I'm yet to be surprised. You know, I might find an agency that is set up like How Henry, or um, but I can't I can't see many of them. Yeah, I think I think the time is is kind of ripe, or at least this, it feels like that this period of sort of schism whether through covid or or even the black lives matter thing we're talking uh in 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 the kind of midst of that happening as well i feel like there needs to be a new something or other that's coming out of here i think what you've just said and what the situation you described is familiar to a lot of people particularly those of us who worked in the 90s and early 2000s about there being more freedom and bigger budgets and more support and all sorts of things like that that um yeah i i, I don't feel i'm just looking through rose-tinted glasses i feel like what we're being asked to do today uh, on a more general basis i you know there's still good work out there of course is is not yeah. is not how it was and i don't think that the machine or the the support is there behind it either but i, th- I think things can change and, and advertising was dreadful before Bill Burnback turned up and, and kind of yeah. turned it all around. So, you know, I, I, I hold out hope. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I think so. And it's just, it's a little bit, um, it, feel, it feels now the focus seems so much on the agency mm. and, and so little on the work. And I, and I look back at, at how Henry and it was, um, I remember at parties, there'd be, there'd be me and a girl called Antonia um, he's gay and and we'd always be the last ones together and but we'd find each other at parties because everybody would be um, hassling me about religion well not, not necessarily in a bad way sometimes in quite an in, intrigued way it was quite an odd thing to be a Christian in advertising mm. and and it was quite a novelty being a, a lesbian in advertising uh, it was quite a novelty being a girl in a creative department but how Henry did had loads of girls in their creative department and, and actually, by the time I left, quite quite a few gay people. Trevor Robinson is the guy who got me into 
the whole thing, and he's a black guy. Yeah. So it, it, it feels it, it feels I don't know how many light years ahead of its time it was, but you know how Henry, if you look at the makeup of the people back then, is 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 a pretty diverse company, and I think there were some pretty high earning women in that company too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are probably flaws you could look at it, but. Uh, it, it, it didn't focus so much on that. It put all the energy into work. It's got great people, uh, and 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 put all that energy into making, uh, trying to make a difference through its advertising. Which maybe maybe that could be a lesson. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, I I have I have things. I'm sure you have other things as well. About, yeah. And, and I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've taken up an hour of your your valuable time, but it's been really really fascinating, and I think. Um, I think there are a lot of things for people to, to learn and take out of this, and that's why whenever I do anything on the podcast, it's always like hopefully that people can can extract something that might make things better or easier or inspire them. And I think there's been a lot of that in the last hour. So huge thanks for that. Chat. I hope so. I hope so. And talk to talk to David. Yeah. Because um, he's um, yeah, he'll he'll definitely have a view. He's he's, he's like Tigger. Well, very, very weirdly, like he got in touch after I put Black Current Tango on because he was simultaneously in a conversation with my wife about something completely different. And a massive, oh, really? massive coincidence that he's oh, now doing some client stuff. And, and we've set up this climate crisis initiative as well, my wife and I. Um, yeah. and, and, and he wanted to get in touch about that. And I went, oh. Wow, the Black Current Tango client. Well, let's talk about all those things, but also let's talk about Black Current Tango from your client position. So um, yeah. we'll be having that chat soon. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck with it. It's been nice going down memory lane. Yes, uh, me, for me too. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll sort this out and, and put it up at some point with a link to you. And uh, huge yeah. thanks, Chaz. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for all that, Ben. Okay, have a, have a great right. evening. And um, yeah, yeah you too. Cheers. Yeah, good luck. Thanks. Bye. You too, bye. Podcast to watch Christmas.